Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Scripture reading today is from the third chapter of Mark. This passage makes it clear that Jesus is killed for subverting religious authority, especially around the idea of rest. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, Jesus told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep people from crowding him. A couple of years ago, I found myself in the middle of a conflict. In the midst of that conflict, someone offered me some surprising feedback. This person had known me for a long time. For fun, we sometimes tossed barbed comments back and forth. Maybe that was her inspiration. Or maybe I'm less mysterious than I like to believe. She pulled me aside and said, you're smart, you're sarcastic, and words come quickly to you. You could make some of these people look like fools, but you don't. Thank you for that. I have to admit, I felt a little shiver of predatory glee. (laughs) 
Finally, someone has seen the truth of my devastating wit. I have a fully loaded bandolier of scorn wrapped around my brain. My wings are heavy with the ordinance of snappy comebacks. Fear me. Part of me wants to believe that I have this kind of power. On a deeper level, though, this is not the person I want to be. And so when she said this, my overwhelming response was more like panic. Oh, no, I thought to myself, is that showing? I need to be more careful. I need to do a better job of hiding the poisonous garden inside myself that blooms with clever insults. I want people to feel safe around me. That's what I really want. I want to be gentle. I want my life to be invitational. You can't do that and call people names. This is something I've learned in my 30 years of pastoral ministry. <laughs> you can't carpet bomb someone's face with insults and then expect them to trust you. I've learned that being clever can get in the way of who I really want to be. 11 years ago, Elliot Witherspoon came up to me after a meeting for worship and asked, does the meeting have a shovel that I could borrow? Flexing my colossal wit, I replied, why, are you going to bury someone? As I remember it, Elliot dropped her eyes for a moment, then she said, actually, we're going to plant a memorial tree for a student who died. Elliot was very gracious with me. I wish you would have just hit me with the shovel. <laughs> I felt so terrible. I've lost count of how many times I've said to myself, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> the world doesn't need to know how clever you are. The world needs someone who knows how to listen. The world needs someone who can create space for others Shut your mouth. Quite literally, I sometimes catch myself sitting in a group of people with my fingers <laughs> pressed against my mouth. After learning that this is a, a common nonverbal gesture, I find myself doing it all the time. Somewhere in the recesses of my brain, I know that synapses are firing. Danger, danger, batten down the mouth, keep it closed. I have to work at this. I have to work at creating space for others. I have to work at being true to myself. I think of this work as self-care. At least sometimes we dangerously oversimplify the idea of self-care. If we consider work 
and self-care to be mutually exclusive, then maybe we've distorted the idea of self-care. Because have you ever taken care of someone? We humans are a lot of work. We're a lot of work when we're young. We're a lot of work when we're old. No matter how many years you've been on the planet, I bet that taking care of you is a lot of work. We are made to grow tired. We're made to get hungry. We're made this way. We get lonely and discouraged. We get overstimulated. We are more complex than the space shuttle, and the space shuttle gets a whole team of highly trained scientists. Self-care is work. It has to be. It's a kind of work. As you probably know, Jesus got into tons of trouble for healing people on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were aghast. They said, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. Healing people is work. That counts as work. And the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. Jesus crossed that line on purpose. With his eyes open, he transgressed the line between Sabbath and work. Jesus refused to see the Sabbath as a mandatory bubble of inactivity. Instead of healing people six days a week, Jesus crossed the line by healing others on the Sabbath, on the designated day of rest. I think many of us want Jesus to be our guardian of rest. We remember that Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We remember that Jesus withdrew from the crowds. All of that is true, but it's only part of the story. Not only did Jesus heal on the Sabbath, he said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus spent himself proclaiming God's kingdom. He confronted the status quo until the people in authority killed him. That's a pretty complicated role model for self-care. I think there's something beautiful about self-care. It's a way of telling the truth about ourselves. We aren't machines. We need rest. We need nourishment. We probably need to laugh more. We need care in order to function. This is deeply, deeply true. And here is a second truth. All of the things we need take work. When someone asked Jesus how to pray, he offered this response, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer about self-care. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. I think that's also a prayer 
about self-care. If we say that eating is a pleasure and forgiveness is work, then we sound more like the Pharisees than we do like Jesus. Eating should be a pleasure, but making it happen takes work. Forgiveness takes work, but it's the kind of work that nourishes us. Dividing self-care from work creates a false dichotomy. When I look at myself, I realize I am not very good at self-care. I really like the idea of it. I like to picture myself in a canoe where the only sound is my oar striking the water. I like to picture myself in the kitchen with my music playing loud and a new recipe on the counter. I like to picture myself exploring a new city. But I know that it would take work for any of these things to happen. And when I start to think about doing this work, then I remember all the other work that I have to do. I have to write this amazing message that will change your life forever. <laughs> I have to print the bulletin and update the website. I have to answer all my emails. I have to get things on the calendar. I have to prepare for another meeting. There's so much work to do. I don't want another job. My typical approach to self-care is to give myself permission to ignore self-care. <laughs> I like the idea of having one less responsibility. Besides, I don't have the energy to cook anything more complicated than instant oatmeal. I don't have the energy to plan a trip. If self-care requires us to tell the truth about ourselves, then I will acknowledge this limitation. I don't have the energy to take good care of myself. And so I keep working. In my mind, I have separated self-care and work. I've made this diagnosis. If I can still work, I don't need self-care. Everything is fine. So today, I am trying to convince myself self-care is another kind of work that I need to do. If I don't have the energy for the work of self-care, then I am not fully functional. I am not doing the work that I need to do to be my true self. I know this is true. Without good self-care, I have a harder time keeping my mouth shut. I'm more likely to feel the need to impress. Without good self-care, I have a harder time keeping my focus on someone else. I have a harder time being my true self. What kind of self-care do you need this week? What's the work that you need to do in order to be your true self 
And do you care about yourself enough to do that? 